All right, draft 412 on the clock. Penguins talk on the 412. I got my special guest once again, Darren Vickless. He's uh, the partner in this show, the partner in crime. And we are brought, uh, we are sponsored today by P.F. Chang's. P.F. Chang's was um, one of our big sponsors at the uh, Stage AE event last year. Uh, they were the VIP food. So if you were upstairs, you had a VIP ticket. They had um, lettuce wraps, which are phenomenal. Uh, they were up uh, serving them to the people. Uh, we appreciate everything P.F. Chang's did and hopefully what they will be doing here in the future for us. Darren, it wasn't the best week ever for the Penguins since the last time we talked. They played two games. They got zero points. And um, we'll start with the first one. Um, at Vegas, uh, looked like a crazy atmosphere. A lot of Penguin fans uh, watching on TV. Uh, I, I have a thing for Vegas. I love watching the Vegas Golden Knights for some reason. I just love the atmosphere, the, the way the games look and they appear there. But we had a 2 nothing lead in that game, Darren. And explain to us what happened after that 2 nothing lead. Uh, it's kind of more of the same. I mentioned last week that we're just not getting complete games. Sometimes it's the first 15 to 20 minutes. Sometimes it's the last 15 to 20 minutes, as we saw with Vegas. Um, they pretty much had a team. Without their best forward, by the way, in Jack Eichel, they had them in a blender, to put it bluntly, for about 40 minutes. Vegas wasn't in that game at all. It honestly reminded me a lot of the Kraken game, where mm-hmm. the Penguins just kind of outskated them end-to-end, except we didn't get that clamp-it-down, shut-it-down third period that we saw against the Kraken, where the Penguins gave up, I think, like four shots in 20 minutes or something like that. Um the moment the Penguins hit the third period, it's like they were still asleep in the locker room. Um, and I couldn't give you a rhyme or reason for it. Vegas just started handling the forecheck better was the big thing that I noticed. What served the Penguins very well in the first period was it was a controlled aggression. I've said that before. They did it against Colorado. They did it against the Kraken. They did it against the Flyers. These teams that can really ramp it up speed-wise. The Penguins, for they played higher in the neutral zone. They'd send the forechecker in, cause a little bit of chaos, but they didn't overcommit. They just completely abandoned that in the third period, and it came back to bite them. They started giving the uh, the Knights some chances off the rush, and then once the Knights got comfortable in the offensive zone, uh, we lost you there. Lost you there for a second. Oh, no. Um, it, but ultimately, what really hurt the Penguins too is I think the Latang and Pedersen pairing. We'll talk about them again as we get into the call, uh, the Phoenix game, Arizona game, but um. They probably had their worst period of the year in that third period against Vegas. Kind of a, just a disaster. Um, you had some more of the same where the Malkin line wasn't great. Kind of fell asleep in open coverages. Um, a rare uh, – the Crosby and Gensel line, they give up mistakes every once in a while because they have to be so aggressive offensively. But you saw a very, very bad play where Gensel loses his man behind the net. Vegas cashes in. All three of those goals came off very preventable mistakes that – for the last month, the Penguins really haven't been making those mistakes outside of that first period against Vancouver. Um, you just didn't see those mistakes all that often. And then they, they they reared their heads again against Vegas, and they just didn't give the full 60 minutes. And what's disappointing is you had a team that is playing for a lot. All of a sudden, the Oilers have come alive in that division. So Vegas has to keep winning if they want to keep that home ice in at least the first round. Then and the Kings, they have to keep up that tempo. And especially with the uh, Canucks being as good as they are, and Vegas came out in the third period and played like they had something to play for, and they did. In, in a third period, they scored. They scored um, on back-to-back shifts, pretty much, that make it two-two. Um, they Three scored goals, about five minutes, I believe. And, and, and one of the notes I took down was after they got the two-two, they tied it up at two. You know, the 
the the the uh, momentum definitely swung. Malkin took a dumb slashing penalty. Um, they didn't score on the penalty, but they scored pretty much the directly result. after it. Yeah, and uh, that's the kind of stuff. I mean, do you think that I'm not gonna say Sullivan? Do you think Sullivan has any kind of? They're, they're veterans that have been in the league for 17. They're, they're Hall of Famers. Do you think Sullivan's sort of like a what's the best way to put it? Like, do you think he can talk to a Malkin, like, what are you doing? Kind of things. I mean, Malkin takes a lot of um, at least it wasn't in the offensive zone this time, but but he takes a lot of dumb penalties. I'm gonna say no, and that's not an indictment on Sullivan being able to specifically say something to Gino Malkin, because I don't think anybody outside of maybe Sidney Crosby would ever have like the that sway or Mario Lemieux outside of those two dudes. I don't think anybody ever has been able to tell Evgeny Malkin anything. And that's part of the reason why he's so great. And part of the reason why sometimes you, he makes you pull your hair out. That's just how he is. He's going to play that way. He's always been that way. He was that way under Tarion. He was that way under Bilesma. He was that way under the very brief Mike Johnston period. And he's been that way under Sullivan, even in the back-to-back cup years. There's the famous clip of him on the bench screaming at Phil Kessel. And then and then Mike Sullivan tried to get in between them, and they both kind of tell Sullivan off. And it's not because Sullivan doesn't have any authority or he's a bad coach. It's just with a guy like Malkin, he just doesn't really listen to anybody, and he plays on instinct and just does what he does, for lack of a better way to put it. He's more like a force of nature sometimes when he plays than he is a person. And let's talk about um one one guy that he, he's sort of like the – I guess he's the whipping, the whipping boy right now on the Penguins. Um, he seems like it seems like every year the Penguins have that one defenseman that just gets razzed really bad on social media or or in general. But he had a, he had a nice goal, uh, Ryan Graves. He had a nice, an actual look like a little offensive type move where he uh, faked the wrist shot and you know got the goalie to go down and then uh, banking in off of him. Um, he's had some good games lately, but then this this past weekend he was he was rough. Um, besides that goal, w- what's your feelings on Ryan Graves? Oh man, uh, I Ryan Graves, uh, and we'll get into this later when we talk about the Rangers because there's a UFA signing there that I kind of wish the Penguins would have made instead. Um, Graves to me right now is the weakest link on the Penguins. Now he is not the only problem. That like Ryan Graves, if you would have me like hierarchically rank what their issues are, it's still the power play one. And just the inability to finish at 5v5 still. But it, once you get beyond that, right? Because Ryan Graves at this point, Eric Carlson's best minutes were away from Ryan Graves. Whether it was Ludwig, whether it was POJ, or whether it was Pedersen. Carlson's best minutes were away from Graves. By far his worst minutes with Graves. If you flip that, Latang's best minutes, for the most part, up until recently, have been with Marcus Pedersen. All of his minutes with Ryan Graves, his worst stretch of play all year. When you're dragging down a guaranteed probably top 10 guy ever at the position in Eric Carlson and another guy that has a fringe Hall of Fame case in Crystal Tang, when those two guys are getting bogged down and there's one commonality, one thread between those minutes, and it's Ryan Graves, that tells you everything you need to know. And it's not me trying to be harsh because everybody and their mother right now has nothing nice to say about Ryan Graves, but it's because there is nothing nice to say right now. Um, We'll get into this as we talk about the Phoenix game, which I think that might be the worst game I've seen a Penguins player had in maybe half a decade. <laughs> like it's uh, it was it it, it literally uh, yeah. we'll get in yeah we'll go to that right now actually that was one of the um another another time it was two a two two game and literally it felt like um 
I hate saying the bottom fell out, but it felt like just it. I mean, it, it was just a unique situation in a, a little college rink. It just felt like it just was. It was it. It felt like it was the if you had like ebb and flows of a season. It was the, definitely the game that's. If they, don't catch him, if they don't catch himself in the next week or two um, after the All-Star break, that was the game that, that might have been the, 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 the straw that broke the back kind of thing. For sure. Um, and, and we'll get into that. I'm not as gloom and doom as some people, at least not at this moment. That can change. We have two more games before the All-Star break. So two more games to potentially get incredibly ir- irritated over. But um, <laughs> the big thing about the Arizona game to me, even when they tied that game up, the Penguins were not playing well. The Crosby line was playing well, but the team wasn't playing well, which that's a sentence. You can take that and attach that to any of the 42, 43, however many games they played to this point to this year is sitting is doing his thing. Gensel's doing his thing. Whoever the other winger is, whether it's Raquel or Russ, that line in general, doing their thing by and large. But when Marcus Pedersen and even Chris Letang are making mistakes, and then you have especially the the uh, fourth goal or the fifth goal, excuse me, for Arizona. I still don't think Ryan Graves knows where he is on that <laughs> sequence there. Like it was just a disaster. And you have a turnover by Carlson. And I, have, I hesitate to call it a turnover because he's given the puck in a really bad spot because Ryan Graves didn't spatially know where he was behind the net. The puck ricochets off Jari, comes behind the net. Arizona then banks it in. That's the third goal right after Crosby gives you a great deflection on a pass from Carlson on the power play, a brilliant play, which I want more of that. Give me more of the Carlson shooting off net to Sid. That's almost unstoppable when it's clicking. I want more of that. But um, you do that masterful sequence. You get back in the game that you maybe don't deserve to be in. It's your chance to steal a point. And what happens? Ryan Graves starts spinning around like a top. Jari completely loses his net. You get Eric Carlson stuck in no man's land through no real fault of his own. And all of a sudden the puck's banked in off your own goalie facing the wrong way. And Ryan Graves back to the guy who scored the goal, not even paying attention behind the net. Like it was just a microcosm of every single thing that this team does that makes you mad as a, as an observer in one sequence, they turn the puck over. They don't really fight to get the puck back. Your goalie loses his net in the current whipping boy, as you put it, has no idea what's going on. And it was just like a flagrantly bad sequence from all involved. And you mentioned the Crosby deflection. That was one of the. It, it's insane what this guy does. I mean, day in and day out, I've um, been watching this guy. What is it? 18, 18 years now. Eighteen years. I think. So. Uh, It'll be. I think it's eighteen seasons. Two thousand six was his rookie year. So seventeen. Yeah, yeah 17, 18 years. Yeah, It'll yeah. be eighteen. But um, he just the guy doesn't 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 seize to amaze. Just every every game is something he's doing differently that I haven't seen him do in the past and it's a shame if his team does um have a rough season not make the playoffs it probably will cost him an mvp um at least the votes in the mvp because he's he's definitely a guy that deserves to be um in, in the running but let's talk about the elephant in the room uh about the game because um i grew up with mike lang who always every time the penguins pulled their goalie he made it a point to say Goalie's out. Oh, what you know? Make make sure you know. He 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 made it a point like watch what you do back here, kind of thing. Like you know, be careful. He he always he always made it like a like a sub like a thing like you know better watch out of the net. Like you know, they're, they're moving a puck around behind the net and stuff. He would get a little anxious, and I've never seen it happen. I saw what happened to a team against the Penguins back in the nineties. I cannot remember the team that did it, but I think it's what 
And Mike Lyon made a big deal. Like, oh, I told you that could happen. And it happened. It happened to the Penguins against Arizona. Um, I'm not going to blame either of them, either of the guys involved, Latang and Malkin. Because Latang, if you watch the pass, the pass was going to the corner. But the fact is, Latang wasn't looking when he made the pass, which is one thing. So he had no idea Malkin was already skating, um, I guess, towards the net. And then Malkin, one hand, like lazily one handed, uh, tried to one hand the puck. And we all know what happened. Is this something that could break a team? Or is this something that you think the guys can just laugh about in the locker room maybe in a week and just be like, all right, let's, you know, I mean, that's, it's an embarrassing two, two Hall of Famers involved in, a, in giving up a, you know, a goal that um, Lawson Krauss got from touching a puck, what, 35 seconds, 40 seconds before the, the goal. NHL stat keeping, it's the first time in the history of the league that a team has scored a power play goal in a game where they had no shots on the power play. Oh the Penguins penalty kill was excellent. They didn't give up a single shot on the power play all night. <laughs> That's an and unbelievable stat. It's never happened in the history of the league. And it being those two guys, two guys that I think people wrongfully get overly upset at sometimes. Because when you have the puck as much as those two guys do, sometimes turnovers and things happen. Um, but that play was, you said you're not going to blame either or I'm going to lump it together. They are far too comfortable being disorganized. I agree with that. I agree with that. I think like, I, I, Tang being careless, Malkin not paying attention, and it perfect storm bites them in the butt a little bit. Puck goes into the net. Um, the Malkin bobbling the puck thing, I'm not shocked at at all because it, as we get into it a little bit later, maybe I, one of the things in the power play that kills me with them is how much he's bobbled the puck this year. Excess yeah. double clutching, whiffing on pucks and shooting positions and not being that dedicated trigger man that he used to be. There's just no confidence there. And that play doesn't happen if either of those guys is focused and confident in what they're doing in that moment, which is a bigger symptom of the team overall. It just happened to reflect itself in the most embarrassing way possible. And if they come out and win these next two games, they go into the all-star break. If they win these next two games, they're probably tied for a playoff spot, depending on how things shake out. You can laugh about it. You can feel better about your season going into the trade deadline and what you're going to want to add. But if and they that, lose these next two games, it, it's going to be looked at as like a fulcrum tipping point where everything fell apart, like a Jenga tower. That last block got pulled on one embarrassing play, and it all comes tumbling down. And, so and, the next two games are going to tell us how are they going to respond to this, and is it something you can laugh about? Or is it going to be something we're going to look back in the offseason and go, oh, no, that was the – Waving flag moment, we just didn't know it at the time. Do you, I mean, that's why I wanted to ask. We have enough veterans in this team, of course. We're the oldest team in the NHL. Um, is this something they could maybe bring them, bring them together if they do it the right way? I mean, I, I know Sid. They showed Sid with the stick on his head, look oh. like he was gonna look like the Bo Jackson was coming up. He was gonna snap the snap the twig, but he um, it his looked like it just it looked like it felt like the air in that place just. Like, there's a lot of Penguins fans here. It was course, a pro-Penguins like, crowd. It was a mm -hmm. pro-Penguins crowd, which it, that's usually the case against the Coyotes, historically, mm -hmm. not just in the new Mowat Arena, wherever they've been, Glendale, Phoenix, wherever. Mm -hmm. But, um, no, it was like the air got let out of the building. The Penguins storm back. They tie it. You give up the horrible goal behind the net, and then what was it, eight or nine minutes later, that happens, and it's like, oh, well, not their night. And then immediately later, Ryan, Gra uh, Ryan Graves gets blown by for the fifth goal. Like, everything about that game – was just every bad habit the Penguins had showed up one way or another. 
and you also happen to get the most embarrassing sequence you're going to see all year from any any team. <laughs> On the only the only thing that might be worse is some of the early Sharks games because those were pathetic, and the Penguins have never been that bad. But outside of some of what San Jose Sharks are, the Sharks have done, which they're a team who's trying to lose, you expect those things from them. Outside of them, though, that's probably the worst sequence you see from any team all year. And there was one guy on the ice in the uh, Penguins-Coyotes game that um, I thought was the best player on the ice. And he's an ex-Penguin. He looked like he was flying. And I'm talking, like, Jay- flying, flying. Jason Zucker. Him and looked, Bukes, both. We're good. Uh, and, and Bukes. Yeah, both of them. I mean, they both got goals. And, I mean, Zucker looked like he could have scored maybe four or five goals. He had a couple in close. At, uh, Jari, Jari made some big saves in the beginning of the game. Um, that's what they were expecting from Zucker. What, what what happened when Zucker came to Pittsburgh? I know the injuries and that, but do you think do you think this is the Zucker they were uh, expecting? I mean, he so he only has seven or eight goals on the year, I think. So part of that is the Coyotes just don't score that much. Uh, well, his line, at least at five v five, isn't really scoring much, but he always brings energy. Uh, he's very Chris Kunitz like, very chaos. I love his celebrations. He he just gets so manic. So crazy. He could score a billion goals and he'll celebrate every goal. Like it's his first goal in the league. And I love that about the guy. But if uh, you if you threw the stats out the window right now, what they've done on the year, which are bot they're pretty close, I bet, in points. I didn't look it up, but the coyotes are ahead of them right now. No, no, I'm talking about um I'm talking about players. If you threw the stats out on the players, would you rather have on your team right now Jason Zucker or Raleigh Smith? Zucker, because you're gonna get a pulse from him every night. Um, I agree. I agree. The game against the Blues, for example, things aren't going your way. Bennington's playing really good. Zucker bumps into him. Bennington loses his mind, and then Zucker immediately scores on the power play. Like he has a lot of like throwing a match on the powder keg kind of moments where he just stirs stuff up. He's a uh, you know what stirrer uh, with a lot of people, like especially around the crease. He crashes the net. He's very fast, um, and he's a guy. He's a volume shooter. He'll put a lot of shots on from anywhere. And sometimes you get a lucky bounce off the goalie skate or you hit a rut in the ice and the puck takes a weird bounce. And all of a sudden the goalie's out of position for a tap in. Like he just did simple things. Well, now early season, Riley Smith was better than anything Zucker did in Pittsburgh. Oh but yeah. Definitely. You haven't gotten that for two months now. And now he's out with injury. Um, so I, I would take in totality Jason Zucker at this moment. There's still time for Smith to come back and redeem himself a little bit this year, but it's getting late early as far as my opinion on Riley Smith is going. And let, let's get into um, the, the other elephant in the room. I mean, the first elephant was that play, of course, that people are going to talk about. Probably probably every time the Penguins pull the goalie now, they're going to be like, oh, 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 oh. you're going to have that in the back of people's minds. And It's going to be a joke from now yeah, until the season ends. Definitely will be. The Pens are 21, 17, and 6, which is, I guess you could say it's under 500. It's sometimes it's hard to and say. It's, 500, it, it, in the, a lot of people's eyes, I don't agree. I think the same way you do. They're functionally 21 wins and 23 losses. They're just getting points in six of those losses. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I kind of know where you're going with it already. Like, is it a blow it up scenario? And we talked a little bit about this before we were on the air. I am not saying blow it up yet. These next two games are going to tell us a lot. Um, if they can win these next two games, you're fine. Because everyone else in the Metro, including the teams that are supposed to be really good in the Metro, are not playing well lately, beyond Carolina, really. Um, And even they've had a few kind of rough losses recently. The Devils, who devastated with injuries, and they now have two guys out probably forever uh, with the World Junior scandal, which we're not going to get into. If you're curious about that, just look up World Junior Hockey Scandal. 
I am not equipped to be the person to go in depth on that particular story, but it directly affects a team. The Penguins are currently competing with for standing points in the New Jersey Devils. The uh, Islanders have made the coaching change to Patrick Waugh. I don't think he's that good of a coach. Remains to be seen how much that's going to matter for them. Um, let me see who else. The Capitals win one, lose one. They're in the same mode the Penguins have been mostly recently. Um, along with pretty much everybody they're competing with. Detroit as well. Tampa Bay has been a little bit better, but the Penguins have so many games on hand on them that I could see them making up that ground. So the Penguins, as disastrous as these two losses were, they really didn't lose ground. Now, the other way to look at that is, well, you missed those four points or three out of four points, however you want to look at it, to leapfrog those teams and then put the onus on them to chase the Penguins. Absolutely right. But in terms of like a Vegas odds perspective, they're probably right where they were before these two games. Um, but the things they have to do, and I'm going to keep banging on the drum, they have to change the power play. They have to probably get rid of Todd Reardon, whether they do or they don't. I don't I'm not familiar enough with Fenway Sports Group to say that's something they're going to do in season or not yet. I hope they do, which it sounds very grim saying, I hope somebody loses their job. I hope people don't take it that way. It's it's pro sports. We've seen it with the Steelers this year locally. Sometimes you got to make a tough call and move on from somebody for the betterment of the organization. So you probably see something there. And you got to make a personnel change. And again, not to treat him like the guy in the doghouse. I would take Evgeny Malkin off the power play. Um, at least for a few games, him bobbling the puck, his indecision. Carlson's clearly trying to feed him for one-timers and he just never takes the shot. I think it's better for all parties involved if you maybe bump Malkin to the second power play with Latang. And, let, and let's, let's play the devil's advocate with you for each 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 side of the, this uh, equation. Penguin's start to win their 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 playoff team. What does in your opinion, what does Dubas what does Dubas need to do to add to this team? What does he need to add to this team if he can at the deadline? So we're going on the we're going on the premises that the Penguins are gonna turn this around and, and Dubas believes that and he wants to give them a little a little push in the right direction. What do you think the Penguins need to bring in? Their most crucial need right now is somebody so Ryan Graves is always on your third pair. That would be number one for me. And maybe someone who can pitch in a little bit on the second power play unit. As, 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 as a point man opposite Latang. Uh, preferably a left-handed shot like Graves. So you can kind of keep the lefty-righty continuity that Mike Sullivan generally loves. And for good reason. It just works. It makes breakouts easier in a lot of cases. Um, that would be number one. But like a 1B, they need someone else that could score in that middle six. Jesse Pujarvi has been playing better in the AHL. He's not mm-hmm. going to be a big scoring guy. Um we have to see what Colin White is. He, he got minutes on the second line today in practice with Malkin. I don't like that. I don't think a guy that was in the AHL last week should be no. playing on your second line. It kind of reeks of throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks with Riley Smith being out. Um, but we'll kind of have to see where that goes. But um, with Raquel on the third line, then with Pustin and Eller, but um, those two things, and like there's the forward, the middle six forward is probably going to be the easiest thing to get because there's are guys that fill that role that go for a lot less than you'd expect every year. Mm-hmm. A big name I've seen thrown around a lot is Duclair out of San Jose. Um, he's not much of a defensive guy, but he's going to score a little bit. And he's a burner. He's got some speed. He's very good on the forecheck, causes some chaos in front of the net. And despite being a fast, flighty kind of player, he's not always on the perimeter. He likes to cut in. He likes to drive the net which I think would complement a guy like an Evgeny Malkin pretty well. And then that lets you bump Riley Smith when he's backed onto your third line. And it kind of cascades down the lineup. Defenseman's harder, man. Um, like, I mean, if, if you're willing to break up the righty lefty quotient, Chris Tanev 
with Calgary because Calgary is going to sell. It's a matter of time. Mm -hmm. They are going to sell. I agree. Just my chair there. But uh, they're going to sell. And Tanev can play on either side. But there's going to be five or six other teams that want him that have better draft capital than what the Penguins do. So it's, it's going to be a lot to, to think about. And then because Graves is going to be on the Penguins. Like I keep saying replace Graves because you can't get rid of him. Like no. he's going to be on the contract until he's 34 or 35. Like it, you, that is something you make you made your bed with that as far as Kyle, Kyle Dewis is concerned. You are stuck with him. It's not getting better. You got to find a way to get him down to the third pairing is the second best option and the most realistic option. Um, and I'm even looking right now at hockey reference. There's no obvious candidate to fill that role. So Dubas has his work cut out for him. But a middle six forward is the easier of the two. But in a perfect world, they can get both those things. Well, what do you? Okay, we're going to the opposite way now. Penguins struggle. They, they they hit rock bottom. They start losing. Um, they lose the next two. Come out of the All Star break flat. He's got to blow it up now. I guess the first thing that comes to mind in everybody's mind is Jake Gensel. Um, and my question to you is. If Dubas blows this up, is this a blow up and hope that you rebound right away? Or is it a blow up and you're looking at two, three years? So if you trade Gensel and then the other two guys, not to sleep on it, there might be a lot of interest in Tristan Jari with how well he's playing and a lot of goalie thirsty teams out there. Mm-hmm. And I think he would get a haul for Marcus Patterson. I genuinely do. Um, I would hate to trade those guys personally. But if everything goes south, those are the only things you're going to get value for to try and do a quick flip around and reload for next year. Um, I think if they sell with how good Sidney Crosby is, I don't think you're going to see a full blow it up rebuild. I think what you would see them do is do what the Capitals did last year. Sell off assets, get some younger pieces back that you can either flip again or keep like a Dylan Strom in UFA. Um, Sandin, who's not been as good for the Capitals this year, but I like the idea of trying to get someone younger there to work on their defensive core. Um, I don't think it'd be a full blowed up rebuild. I think if you trade Gensel, I think you're going to get a first round pick, an NHL ready player, because with Gensel's salary, there's going to have to be an NHL quality forward coming back. Mm-hmm. And then a prospect that you hope would be a blue chip prospect, but it really depends on what the market interest is. And I think Pedersen, you would probably get a second round pick and a prospect. What's um, the percent? What's the percentage odds on Gensel getting dealt and then re-signing with the Penguins in the offseason? I think if they bought him out, I think that's the most likely outcome. Unless something happens where he's just he doesn't like Dubis or he doesn't and again we're dealing with human beings here. I he could wake up tomorrow and say, screw this, I want out at the deadline. Like, that's an entire possibility. Not that there's any body of evidence to say he would do that, but it's there with, when you're dealing with people. But um, I would go 60-40 if they do trade him, that he would come back to the Penguins. But it depends. If he goes to Vancouver, they win a cup. He likes living there. There's there's a lot of quotients you got to look at with that. Another team that I wouldn't sleep on that would really, really like Gensel beyond him would be probably the Edmonton Oilers. Um, Evander Kane has been bad. Now they don't have a lot to trade, but uh, and I know Kane has some scoring numbers. He's been objectively bad, bleeding scoring chances against at five v five, a mess wherever he goes. Uh, people get weirdly confrontational about Evander Kane. There's a whole lot of other stuff there that I'm not going to wade into. Um, but like, if you make a trade with either of those teams, though, you're going to get an initial player back. Like, if you trade with Vancouver, you're probably getting Kuzmenko back, who I think is a decent hockey player. He's nowhere near as good as Jake Gensel, but a decent hockey player that can be part of a reload immediately next year, along with whatever prospect and first round pick you get. 
All right, last week we did uh, um last week we did the New Jersey Devils as our team of the week and and they've went downhill since then and like you already mentioned they might be in the in the water now. So let's hope that maybe if we pick a team each week maybe that team falls off the uh, horse and this week it's the number 1 team uh, in the Metro. The Rangers are 29-15 and 3. Uh they're 13 points ahead of the Penguins, which I ain't really paying much attention to that anyways. The Penguins don't need to win the Metro by no means. It ain't like it's a um the NFL, where you're looking for that. Yeah, this you know, isn't like where it's that where it means so much. But give us your opinion of the Rangers, who who are star laden. I mean, if, if anybody just opens up, like you said, hockey reference, or just looks at the Rangers roster and their stats, they're they're, they're um maybe not as um all, I uh what, what's the word um superstar heavy as the Penguins, but they're they're pretty they're pretty close, and they have. They have depth all the way down. I mean, Adam Fox is like your fifth or sixth scorer on the team. Uh, you're doing a pretty, uh, you're pretty, pretty legit. Yeah, I mean, I think Fox is the second best defenseman in hockey after McCarr. Uh, he's their best player, and I'm I'm including Shesterkin in that. But um, the the Rangers are a very good team. I am still not sold on them as a cup contender. Um, I have a lot of questions about their center position. I think Zabanajad's a very good player. I don't know if he's the number one center on a cup team. Um, the player that's impressed me the most, though, this year in terms of true breakout is, and I'm pulling up their scoring list again right now and then immediately lose my place, but um, is uh, Philip Heedle has been mm. excellent for them. His emergence is what could put them over the top. If you don't have a number one center, but if you have two very high-end number two centers, so you don't really have that weak link in your top six at center, I like him a lot. Now, he's hurt. And they've had to call up a guy by the name of Will Coyle, who has played uh, a few games, but uh, he's up to eight goals and five assists. As a rookie, I'm looking at this right now if I'm looking away from the camera. Mm -hmm. Very, very good player for them. He's mostly played wing, but he, he can, has some flexibility. Um, they hit a home run, though, on the free agent signing of Eric Gustafson which is the previous defenseman that I wish would have preferred the Penguins go after instead that, of Ryan. I'm just going to ask you that. You mentioned that before. That's, so it was Eric, Eric Gustafson's the guy that you would have rather seen yeah. the Penguins. So, and they were, they were rumored at the time. I mean, it was a, that was a name that going into free agency, people yeah. um, did he mention. Here last year. I, it, but it was with the Blackhawks. There's a lot of context you have to take into this. Um, to past two years with the Blackhawks, I believe. But um, he's been dynamite for them. A, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of people in Pittsburgh wanted uh, the Penguins to sign another guy that's on the Rangers because he's a local guy. It was Vinny Vinny Trocheck? What do you think of Vinny? Is he is he a True. guy that you think would have you think he would have meshed mesh well here in Pittsburgh? I think he would have because he's a stable centerman. Um, like I mean, you you never have enough good centers, as the mm -hmm. Penguins historically have shown us when they win cups. It's because they have three or four very mm -hmm. good centers, usually four, sometimes five. Yeah. With when you have like you have to play guys out of position like Carter Rowney getting relegated to the wing when he's a natural center with the cup teams. But um, Trocek would have been very good. Now, if you have Trocek, you don't have Malkin and you probably are giving up some offensive upside with Trocek. So it's a give and take. Um, but the big thing with the Rangers though, they're big bugaboo this year. And it's funny to say it, they have gotten league average goaltending this year is nine nineteen save percentage. Like league wide, when you aggregate starter backup nine nineteen save percentage, the Rangers are getting nine fourteen. It's wild to say a team, with Igor Shesterkin. Yeah, that's crazy. And, I would never have never expected that. Shesterkin's been up and down a little bit. Um, they've given up nine more goals than they should have relative to the extent. When you think about how many games nine goals can cost you, it's actually a lot. Um, 
it's below average league goaltending right now. Not by a ton. It's not like the Penguins a few years ago when they couldn't stop a nosebleed. But uh, it's not been great. And, and it sounds like I'm being hypercritical of the Rangers, but it's because I expect a lot of them. Like, this is a team that went through the rebuild. You have Lafreniere, who, to his credit, is finally looking like a guy who was a lottery pick. I don't think he's ever going to be a point-per-game, number-one overall pick player you expect him to be. But I think this is a guy that, as we go forward, he's going to be very good defensively. I think he's going to turn eventually into a 60-70 to 70 point scorer to where do you, do you look back and go, is he a bust in that he's not by far and away the best player in the draft like he should have been relative to the draft position? Maybe. And by, and by, the, and by the way, I want to give the Rangers some credit on what they did and how fast they've done it. I mean, they literally – I want to say it was, was it three years ago, maybe four years ago. Four, they, they, four years yeah, ago, they, letter. They, they sent a, they they sent the letters to the uh, season ticket holders and said, "Look, we're 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 trading we're trading guys away. Ryan McDonough, uh, big big uh, salary guys, and we're gonna we're gonna blow it up and start it up." And I'll tell you what, they've done an excellent excellent job of rebuilding it. But Darren, to finish up the, our our segment today, the Penguins have a Friday Saturday game at home, back to back games. Florida tough team. They're getting better. It seems like they're playing better hockey. Then you got Montreal. Um, how important, and you, you, you've mentioned this a bunch of times, how important is it to at least, at least get a, have a one strong game out of these two? I'm not saying they got to win both, or are you saying they should, they got to win both? At this point, no, okay. do you think they... You can get three of four points, I'm happy. This team badly needs a statement. And to their credit, they typically do get up and play good, well against good teams. That's, mm-hmm. been a, that's been a thing under the Mike Sullivan era in general. Their problem is they sometimes occasionally drop these games to teams they shouldn't, like Montreal. I wouldn't be shocked if they go out there and beat Florida or they lose a tight, a tightly contested one-goal game where they play well and lose, and then you beat Montreal, however it goes. But you, you got to at minimum win two of them, or win one of them, and you have to come out and be competitive in both games. Like, I can deal with a loss in these next two. What I can't deal with is what we saw against Arizona, where even though they fought back and tied the game, they had no business being there. Um, we need to see genuine pushback effort but that's going to dictate a lot. If you lose these two games and these other teams all of a sudden win their last two, three games going into the all-star break, you're four points out. That's different than the being functionally tied for a playoff spot. Like you are now, like there's, there's a big difference between those two things. I'm going to say, this is like a season fulcrum tipping point for them where what they're, what they do these next two games is probably going to set the tone for what comes after the all-star break, barring anything crazy happening. And, and real quick, uh, before I let you go, um, Darren, Player of the week, go to the week. Who's the, who's your penguin? Who's the best player of the last two games? It's been Sidney Crosby. <laughs> it's it's I, I, and that, that's very boring. Like I, I get it. It's, uh, it's, it's the truth, though. It's the truth. There's no doubt about it. Nobody, no doubt Chad about Ruedel, it. to give like an underrated guy. Chad Ruedel actually had a good couple games. Like not great because no one on the team really played great besides Sid and Jake a little bit. But I want to give a shout out to Rue Weedle, who's been given some tough minutes on the third pair, now having to babysit Ryan Graves or POJ or whoever it happens to be, and he's handled them well. So Sid's the correct answer, but to go off the board, I'm going to give Chad Rue Weedle his flowers for playing pretty well for the past month. And I'm pretty much sure you're going to go with Ryan Graves as the bad one. And I, I, I'm saying this right now that I'm coming up with this idea. I want to nickname him Gravestone because he don't move. He just He's stuck in the ground. He's, he's the Gravestone. Yeah, so. yeah. He's the make, it, <laughs> make the shirt that says gravestone and just and go with it and uh but it was a pleasure talking to you about hockey again and then hopefully we come back with let's go with it let's go with four points uh 
the all-star break, the penguins, this might be the best time for them to I mean, They're a veteran team. They need to they need to unwind. And they they the, the one good thing about this has been well, it ain't really a good thing, is they haven't played a lot lately, which makes it even a little bit harder. You, we mentioned that before, they're playing like uh every three, four days, which for their old you think for their old legs it helps them, but it doesn't seem like it has been helping them a lot lately. They're going to have games in hand, and the onus is on them. If they win those games in hand, especially like against the head-to-head teams like Tampa, like the Islanders, like the Flyers, Capitals, all those teams, they control their own destiny. They, they have to handle their business in the Metro, so I'm not forecasting doom yet, but the clock's getting close to midnight here, and we got to <laughs> we gotta see some consistency, or it's going to be taken out of Dubas' hands, and you're going to see some really well-loved players be sold off. All right, P.F. Changs, thank you so much for the sponsorship. Uh, if you get a chance, I know I'm live. I live here in the South Hills. You can go down to the waterfront. Uh, hit up PF Chang's. They got some excellent food. Their lettuce wraps are, uh, whether you're on a diet or not, they're phenomenal. They're they're a very good meal. Um, fill you up. It's a it's a great meal. My wife and me, we love them things. Uh, great place. Go down there, hang out, uh, get a couple of drinks if you'd like. Whatever you need down there. Uh, so go to PF Chang's. Darren, another great, great talk. Um, like I said, hopefully we come back next um, Wednesday and we could talk about two really good games and and start talking about the Penguins maybe making that push for the playoffs. Thank you for your time, man. Oh, thank you for having me.